Well, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn them to Psalms uh, chapter 73. Uh, Envy. It's not easy being green. How many of you are wearing green today? I, I wore my green shirt, especially for this. Will Williman, he says, uh, envy is an equal opportunity employer. Hence, he means envy gets all of us, whether we're, we like to admit it or not. You know, I gotta be, I gotta be honest. These last couple sermons, including this one, have been really difficult to prepare. Because I'm traveling with this stuff all week long. And my professor, uh, former pastor, mentor, Dan Boone, he said that part of the sermon planning process is to pause and let the text do you some good. Wow, that's hard. When, when you sit with a text and you think about how you can speak it, uh, it gets inside you and it, it starts to do some work. So I, I know that if you're carrying these sermons with you throughout the course of your week, they can be difficult, but they can also be freeing. We're not managing sin, we're working at acknowledging it, seeing it, and figuring out a way to get it out of our life to give it over to God and move beyond it. So I would have to say that uh, I should join the Mariners because I'm batting three for three. I'm batting a thousand right now on seeing that these deadly sins have a way of finding themselves into our life. And so I hope today that you will open your hearts and open your minds Envy is the least confessed of the seven deadly sins. We don't like to think that it's inside us and resides there, but it's an equal opportunity employer. Proverbs 14.30, our launching point for the day, says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. In our culture, uh, green is associated with envy. Green is the color of envy. We, we hear the saying, oh, they are green with envy. Uh, envy is often personified by a, a sickly, weakened kind of a person. Uh, envy, like the proverb says, is rot from the inside. It isn't first visible on the exterior, Envy rots the bones, so it's deep inside us, and it begins that cycle, it begins that rot, it begins that mold from inside. It's like when you take a loaf of bread out of its container and you slice into it and there's green in the middle. Not evident on the exterior, but there it is, rotten in the middle. That's what envy does to us. Envy is like a deadly green poison. Socrates said that envy is like the ulcer of the soul. Envy is the greener grass on the other side of the fence. It's not easy being green. Envy is deadly. Envy is lethal. Quick test that you can give yourself. 
that may suggest that there could potentially be some envy deep within you. Uh, if you've ever found yourself harboring any bitterness or resentment, oftentimes those stem from envy. Envy basically consists of, of pain or distress. It's resentment. It's bitterness that's caused by somebody else's success. It's, it's feeling displeasure, even an ill will kind of a, a feeling uh, at somebody else's superiority or somebody else's happiness or somebody else's reputation or their possessions. It could be somebody specific, someone that you can name that you envy, or it could just be in general, that you have an envy for uh, a group of people or an ideal that you don't think you measure up. Uh, envy is one of the most potent causes of unhappiness in our lives. The I is associated with envy. We look out at the world, we compare what we see, and we find ourselves lacking in something. The, the Latin word for envy is invidia, which means to, to when you look out, uh, it means when you look out to feel spite or maliciousness. The, the Greek words, you'll hear the word that's associated with eyes in our culture, in the Greek word, uh, it's phthonos or ophthalmos. You hear ophthalmology in that word. It's to have literally in the Greek an evil eye. See, we adjust our eyesight to what others have. We adjust our eyesight to what other people are enjoying. And we see those things and we recognize, oh, I don't think I have that. I don't have that same sense of happiness in my life. If only I had that, I would be happy. Envy is the sin of an evil eye. But to tell you the truth, uh, envy does make for a good story, doesn't it? Uh, if you think about, um, well, let's just say, we all know the story of Cinderella, right? Uh, there are two stepsisters in the story of Cinderella. Their names are Anastasia and Drizella. They are evil stepsisters. I mean, they envy Cinderella's happiness. They envy Cinderella's position her disposition. They envy her beauty. And they would do just about anything to Cinderella to get it. They would degrade her. They would dehumanize her. They would, uh, they, they would do everything in their power to displace Cinderella from the things that she had that they didn't. Then, then I think about uh, one, of, one of the movies that I like it's uh, Amadeus. It's the story of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Part of the storyline of that movie tells us about Antonio Salieri, another composer during that time. And Antonio Salieri, he wanted to compose the music of heaven. Yet when he looked at Mozart, he saw that Mozart had been gifted with the talent. Mozart had been gifted with what he said was the music of heaven. 
He find his own talent lacking. It ate him up inside. Because he couldn't figure out why Mozart, the selfish brat that he was, was given that gift when he was so righteous and upright. He should have been the one gifted with that talent. See, envy makes for a good storyline. If you look at most plots in books or movies, there's often some jealousy, which is envy's evil cousin. There's often some jealousy or some envy that needs to work itself out, creates that, uh, that mix between the characters. It, it puts a little tension into the story. At its very core, the essence of envy is the rejection of the good life that God gives us. And it's the obsession over what God has given to others. See, envy destroys our ability to be happy and find true joy. Envy convinces us that, that others are happy while we're left to suffer. It's not a sin that many people confess. It's not a sin that many people even acknowledge because it's so miserable. It's so sickly. And we think that it's hidden deep down inside and nobody else can see it, so we just as we might as well just leave it buried there. Well, I asked you to open your Bibles to Psalm 73. The psalmist who wrote 73 dealt with envy. This is a perfect text for us just to kind of take a stroll through this morning. It starts off, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. <laughs> but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There it is. Envy has cropped up in this person's existence. Envy gives us a spiritual vertigo. Envy causes us to stumble. We get distracted. We, we lose our perspective. We feel robbed. We feel cheated. We lose a love for what we have been blessed with. We're not satisfied with our life, and we'd rather have things differently. So we lose our perspective and we begin to trip. We have this spiritual vertigo. It's not a sin to want to be better. It's not a sin to want to do better. But it is a sin when we turn bitter at someone else's accomplishment. When we start looking out and comparing and then we start the resentment process, and we look at what we have, and, and we just turn to bitter. That's where envy becomes a sin. Envy is evident throughout the Bible. There's all sorts of stories in the pages of our Scripture that, that talk about envy. I, I think, you know, way back at the beginning in, in Genesis 4, there's two brothers, sibling rivalry. I don't know if I need to say anything else right there. We remember Cain and Abel, and both boys uh, born to Adam and Eve. Well, when, when they got to be of age, they brought sacrifices to the Lord, and, and one of them's sacrifice was accepted, and the others wasn't. 
Abel's sacrifice was good and blessed, and, and Cain's sacrifice, for whatever reason, was not. The narrative doesn't really focus on why his sacrifice didn't measure up. It just says that it didn't. And Cain, looking out with that evil eye upon his brother, envied the position that Abel was in. Because Abel was upright and good, and his sacrifice qualified. But his didn't turned him bitter, led to murder. Then over there, in a few pages later in Genesis, we see in Genesis uh, chapter 37, uh, we remember Jacob and his 12 sons, and, and we remember this story. Uh, one of Jacob's sons was named Joseph, and, and Jacob loved Joseph. He was born to him in his old age, and, and he just doted on him, and he gave him a coat of many colors. And his brothers, the other 11... They looked upon him with that evil eye, and they said, why does he get all the attention like that? What about, what about us? So they devised a plot to get rid of their brother, Joseph. And over there in 1 Samuel 18, we remember King Saul and the shepherd boy, David. We remember how David slayed Goliath. One battle, one victory... But it was attributed to David and not to King Saul. And we remember Saul saying, or Saul reporting that, I hear the people out there and they're singing a song and it goes something like this, that Saul killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Oh, I'm the king. I'm the one who's in charge of all of this and all that credit is going to David. And that evil eye looked upon David, was envy. So from that point on, the Bible says, Saul kept an eye on David for an opportunity where he could destroy him. Later on, we know that he threw a spear at him, tried to kill him. Envy, bitterness, resentment. And over in the New Testament, Matthew 2, remember uh, King Herod Right When the baby Jesus was born and the Magi were coming to pay uh, homage and respect, they stopped and asked King Herod, well, where is this new king of the Jews? And he said, what are you talking about? Go find him and so that I can go pay homage as well. What did he want? He, he had some envy there. Uh, I'm the king. There's no other king. So the envy of this baby who was named king of the Jews got to him. So he put out the order all the babies two years old and younger in Bethlehem needed to die. It's a pattern we're establishing here, isn't it? It goes all the way till Jesus' last moments here on earth. Pilate diagnosed envy in the behavior of the chief priests when they brought Jesus before Pilate to get the conviction so that he would go to the cross. Pilate said, he noticed, it's out of envy that you bring him here. They want what he had. Not only did they want what he had, but they didn't want him to have what he did. The love of the people. Being the true king. That's envy. Well, there's things we envy too, right? Some of them uh, seem a little bit trite, trivial. Maybe they're small, but as they work their way inside us, they become 
lethal, those who get the assignment that we wanted, uh, or the promotion that we've been putting in years and years of labor for. We want somebody else's paycheck because, you know, they do less work than we do and they get way overpaid. Those who are better at sports than we are, uh, those whose talents seem to be better than ours, the kids who get the better grade in school, and, you know, you name it. We we look upon uh, families who seem to have it all put together. They always have fun. They're always doing exciting things. We look at somebody else's love life and we envy that. We envy the people whose personalities just shine and glow and they seem to always be happy, not a care in the world. We compare our body type to other people and envy creeps in. There's all sorts of things. The envy works its way in. And it starts to work its way in and we notice its effect when envy whispers in our ears little lies, and we find ourselves thinking, maybe even saying to some other people, oh, they must have cheated. They're just a teacher's pet, brown noser. They didn't play by the rules. He's really a jerk. He doesn't deserve that. And then we try and make ourselves feel just a little bit better by saying things like, oh, it won't last long. Just, you know, stand back and wait. They're going to fail. They're way out over their skis on this one. It's going to be a huge crash when it all comes tumbling down. Envy shows up in our underhanded way of complimenting people. You know what I'm talking about. She's a really beautiful girl. She just needs a new hairstyle. Or, you know, Peyton Manning, he's a great quarterback, but he can't really win the big game. Or worse yet, we resort to sabotage. We start a nasty rumor to undermine somebody's credibility. Or we derail somebody's project at work. Or if you remember back, sometimes we go to greater lengths. Remember back leading up to a Winter Olympics A number of years ago, there was a certain figure skater who really wanted to be on the Olympic team, but there was somebody who was prettier and a better skater than her, and she had a thug go out and take out her knee. Do you remember that? That was envy. I want that so much that you're going to pay. It's going to be at your expense that I get it. That's, That's envy. Is it showing up in your life? See, envy gives us spiritual vertigo. We start to stumble. We lose our sense of direction. We lose our perspective. We lose our balance. We lash out at others. We undermine their success. We gossip. And in the process, we're hurting ourselves. We're ruining our own reputation. The psalmist goes on, verses 4 and 5. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. 
Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. And they say, how would God know? How does the Most High know anything? Envy magnifies the good that's happening to other people, and it's minimizing what we have going on. It looks upon the other and says, wow, that's big. They have no struggles. Zero. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. Wow. Put the magnifying glass on that. Look at what they have. And it's at the expense of ourselves. We minimize the way we have been blessed. And we think it's quite minuscule and tiny, small. And we pale in comparison to their obvious greatness. It's a comparison game. The sun shines brighter on them. Their yard is weed-free, and they don't have any molehills in their yard. Check for me. They live the perfect existence. Envy puts other people up on this pedestal. They are the picture of perfection, living the life of bliss with no problems while we are suffering. See, medium bombards us with images that, that telling us that we're not good enough. It starts when we're young. I mean, even when we're infants, it starts with our parents. Every time you go to the pediatrician, they tell you what percentile your child is in. Well, they are, you know, the 75th percentile in weight, but oh, they're only the 46th percentile in height. Your kid's short. It doesn't stop from there, does it? You find yourself out on the elementary school playground and you're lining up to play touch football at lunchtime, and how do you select teams? You line up along the fence, you pick two captains who are the biggest, strongest, and best football players, and they get to pick their teams, right? And everybody is stacked up. The comparisons start early on in life, and they never finish. And the media shells us day after day, telling us that if only you could look like this, if only you could have this job, if only you could earn this income, if only you could drive this car, that your life would be so much better, and you don't amount to anything until you accomplish this. You been there? We compare ourselves with others. It's how we measure up. It works its way into our thinking so that we end up feeling like we're not worth anything. But it's a lie. It's a lie. Another person's success does not define your worth. But the world says that it does. The world says that you have to measure up. You have to match up. And if you don't, then you are less than. There's winners and there's losers in the world, and there's no middle ground. That's the comparison game. It eats away at us. That's envy, and that's a deadly sin. See, there's always going to be somebody who is faster. There's always going to be somebody who can bench press more. There's always somebody who's going to be able to play football better. There's always going to be somebody who is better at their job than you are. Always. Period. There's always somebody that we could find that 
would rank ahead of you. See, I'd love to play golf for a living, but I ran out of talent a long time ago. I'd be eating peanuts and, you know, perusing the dumpsters in the area if I was left to play golf for a living. Envy is the sin of dealing with our own limitations in ways that are self-demeaning and self-destructive. See, we grew up with the fairy tale Snow White. We talked about Cinderella, but there's also the fairy tale of, of Snow White where the beautiful queen, what did I just say? The beautiful queen. She was beautiful, right? But the beautiful queen went to the mirror and said, mirror, mirror, on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And she wanted the answer that you are. But one day, the answer was not you are. One day, the answer was Snow White. And that was the wrong answer. The beautiful queen had beauty. But in order for her to be satisfied with that, she had to be the most beautiful. And when she learns that she's not, she becomes envious and goes to great lengths to destroy Snow White. So while the queen is beautiful on the outside, her envy reveals that she's ugly and green and sickly and rotten to the core. See, envy is fatal in the sense that it destroys our capacity to enjoy the life that we've been given. We experience our own life as lacking, and, and we feel an emptiness because we compare ourselves to what others have. In verses 6 through 12 that we read there, pride is their necklace. They're clothed with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The New Living Translation says, These fat cats have everything their heart could ever wish for. See, in the, in the journey through envy of the psalmist, it started off, it started off with, uh, I had almost slipped, for I envied. Then it put, the, it put the, the object of envy up on a pedestal. They have everything. I have nothing. And then it moved from being up there, perfection, pedestal, to what? To degrading, to demeaning, to looking upon them with evil. See, envy puts up walls between us. Envy breaks relationship between us. As our outlook becomes negative, we separate ourselves from, from other people. See, envy is, one of the, envy is a communal sin. It takes two to envy. And when you envy someone, you have a hard time being in relationship with them. Envy, you could say, puts you in exile, where there is separation, where there are walls. Envy destroys community. Envy sets up the competition, us and them. There's no, there's no middle ground. There's only winners. There's only losers. Israel went through this. Israel looked around when they were set up as a nation. God was their king. They didn't have a human king. God was their king. But Israel, collectively, looked out at the other nations. And they envied the other nations because they had a human king that led them. Even though they would 
take their kids off to war, even though a king would tax them, even though the king would make life in some ways more difficult for them, they envied what the other countries had in a human ruler. And they said, we want that. We want that. 1 Samuel 8, God grieved this envy, saying, they have rejected me as their king. And from that point in the Old Testament, from that point in the Hebrew Scriptures, it's a downward spiral. Because shortly after Israel had a king, their nation was ripped in two. And the other foreign powers took their turns crisscrossing the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and conquering them and taking them off into exile. Envy led Israel into exile. Envy separates us from who we are made to be and the life we are made to enjoy. Envy is the sin that persuades us to transform into something that we are not. We're made for community, but with envy, walls go up, community is destroyed, and we find ourselves in exile. Envy makes us think that others don't deserve what they have. Envy grieves over your neighbor's good. Envy grieves over your neighbor's success and blessing. Oh, and it gets more insidious than that. Envy relishes in other people's failures. Envy wants their opponent to lose as much as they want to win. You see sports shirts all the time that says, you know, something like, you know, my favorite team is the Hawks and anybody playing the 49ers, right? We relish our opponent's loss as much as we do our own team's win. Envy shows up in the delight in the failure of other people. We see the big-name stories, Tiger Woods, Lance Armstrong. They've recently had issues with credibility and honesty, and, and things have been stripped from them. And, and you read a lot of the media and the story around it, and there's people just thrilled and excited and clapping and cheering, and, and they are just thrilled that somebody else has been taken down. That's envy. That's a deadly sin. That's not just out there. If only. But it's closer to home, too. Your perfect neighbor gets an audit notice from the IRS, and we go, tee-hee-hee. You find the couple who appears to have it all together has just started going to marriage counseling. Word arrives that the star on the opposing team's uh, high school basketball team has broken their leg and is out for the season. You find out that the top sales guy, the person that you have been chasing to try and catch up to, lost a huge deal for your company. You find out that the prettiest girl in class is actually struggling with anorexia. You get word of this, you hear these things, and it deep down you kind of rejoice a little bit. It makes yourself feel a little bit better. That's deadly envy when it works its way in. It 
psalmist continues, verse 13 and 14. Surely in vain I have kept my pure, my heart pure, and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. Woe is me! Look at how upright and righteous I am. I am so righteous. I deserve better than the things that I have been given. The psalmist here is nearly overcome by his doubts. He's nearly overcome um, that, uh, with his doubts about God's justice. Uh, he says, look at me. I'm, I'm deserving better than, than what I'm getting. They don't deserve it. But I, but I do. Evagrius, the ancient monk that we talked about a few weeks ago, who, who was one who started the original list of seven deadly sins, he labeled envy as sadness. Thomas Aquinas, he picked up on this, and he compared envy to sorrow. He said that love rejoices over a neighbor's good, while envy grieves over it. He described envy as that sin of constantly wishing things were different than they are in your life. The psalmist, he continues on. He starts to come to a realization. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. See, envy forgets. Envy blinds us to the fact that everyone has some kind of struggle. Envy Envy has this knack of making us create misery out of nothing. And when we look at what the psalmist was saying, all of his thinking, all of his imagining, all of his emotions spiraling out of control, they happened when he was away from the presence of God. Did you notice that? All of these negative, envious thoughts, all of this poison that's been injected into his system has been when he was away from the presence of the Lord. Did you notice that? When I tried to understand, when I thought everyone was better than me, I was troubled deeply. That's the ulcer of the soul. Envy only thinks of self. Envy is blinding until, he says, till I entered the sanctuary of God. And for Israelites, the presence of God was in the temple, specifically behind the curtain of the Holy of Holies. When I came into God's presence, I got a new perspective. When we enter God's presence, we get a new perspective. Things look different in the presence of the Almighty. Our perspective stretches beyond self. It stretches beyond this life. Helps us gain a renewed confidence in the sovereignty of God. He continues on, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Verse 28, but as for me, it is good to be near God. 
I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. He comes to the relation, the realization that, that his heart was, was harboring this bitterness. He was holding on to these negative thoughts that were fueled by envy, and it was tearing him up inside. And he gives us the solution. The solution, the way from out of envy, the way out of envy is to love. To be in the presence of God. Overcoming envy requires acknowledging a deep need for unconditional love. It requires acknowledging the source of this love is God himself. The psalmist figured it out. It is good to be near God, to let his love penetrate your heart, to know that God loves you for who you are. See, God's love saves. God's love is unconditional. God's love is there before we take any steps towards him. The Apostle Paul in Romans 5, 8, he said, but God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we took any steps towards the love of God, he was loving us. Before we even took a half a step out of our sinful ways towards God, there was God loving us, sending Jesus to die on the cross to save us from our sins. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Apostle Paul, he talks about love quite a bit. The love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. The way out of envy is love. Romans 12.10, Paul says, Be devoted to one another in love. On another, one another above yourselves. There's a few things about love that we need to mention. If you want to write down a couple scripture references for you, for you to read a little bit later, in our core group tonight, we're going to talk about these texts. 1 John 4, 7-12. Talks about the love of God. When we are in the presence of God, we, cannot, we can't know God without knowing His love. And if we aren't loving other people, then we don't know God. That's essentially what 1 John is saying there. To know God is to love God, to experience His love, to let His love penetrate our hearts. And when that happens, we are able to love others. Matthew 22 37 to 40. Jesus is talking about the greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love neighbor, and Jesus takes it to a whole nother level in Matthew 5, 44, when he says, love your enemy and pray for those who hurt you. To know God is to know his love. To know God is to love like he does. We're called to find joy in other people. To love somebody else. Sometimes you, you might, as the great theologian, modern theologian Stephen Tyler says, uh, you might have to fake it till you make it. This is hard stuff 
when we have to look upon somebody whom we envy, who's eaten us up inside, and say, you know what? That is just awesome. I'm so thankful that God has blessed you in that way. I am so happy for you. The first couple times, it may come out a little bit sappy, but you've got to keep saying it. It's called a discipline for a reason. It means that we keep coming back to it, and we talk ourselves into it, and we give it up to God, and He gives us the power and the grace to do it. And we need to remember that our confidence comes from God, that He will hold us up. This last spring, I spent some time with some local pastors from our district, and one of them, one of the activities we did was a team building activity, and it was on a high ropes course. And so I had this harness on, and I was clipped into the ropes, and part of you know, the, the trust and all of that is to sink down into your harness and let the rope do the work. To get down off of the 35-foot pedestal, I, I chose to do the leap of faith, where essentially it's you step off the platform, and it's a free fall. Your rope goes through a pulley system, and there's somebody on the ground who is the belayer, and you put all of your trust into the system. You put all of your trust into the rope. You put your trust into the person on the ground that they're not going to just let go of the rope. And you take the step off. And I was guided to the ground. Paul says of God, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in your weakness. The grace that Paul is talking about right there for us is like putting our trust in that rope taking the free fall, knowing that God will hold us up. Knowing that we can rest assured that He will do what He says. See, envy causes us to look at God and question His love for us. Envy is the response of lonely, fearful human beings who look around in the world and, and, and feel like they've missed out on the party and, and, and then question God's love and question His justice and question is fairness. See, envy ultimately denies the cross. Jesus loved us so much that he died for everybody equally. The cross is that symbol of love. For we are all covered by God's grace if we would repent. When we acknowledge this, we'll be able to love ourselves and we'll be able to love other people. People of God said, amen. Trent's going to come and play some music for us, and the team will gather in a minute. But we're going to close with the Lord's Supper. I think it's a very fitting way of, of closing a service like this. Some of you may need to, to do some business before you partake of the elements, and, and there's altars here that you can pray at.